You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join us today at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 457, Twisted. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we take a look at each and every episode of Star Trek, bending around each and every corner, searching for the morals, meanings, and messages, and seeing if they withstand the twist of time. This week, Twisted, the one where not only the Voyager gets bent out of shape, but so do a few of the crew. I'll be back with trivia in a moment, right after Norman tells you how you can reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now, here is John Champion with this week's trivia. All right. This week we have a story by Arnold Rudnick and Rich Hosek. And these are two names that are new to us in our Star Trek coverage. And this is the only credit they both have with the franchise. Now, prior to this, they had successfully sold a story to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And shortly after Voyager, they both worked as writers and consultants on multiple episodes, the entire series, in fact, of the new Adams family. So, They had pitched this idea and sold the story, but unfortunately, the draft script came in much too short. It was up to the others on the staff to really fill it out with an additional eight minutes of material. So the teleplay then is credited to Kenneth Biller, but it was also with the guidance of Jerry Taylor's hand to add in the additional material that they needed. In the end, a lot of those extra minutes were made up for in Voyager's corridors with longer scenes played out with our crew being lost. It was directed by Kim Friedman, and we don't want to tip anyone's hand here this early in our podcast today, but it is worth keeping in mind that even this veteran Star Trek director had a reportedly difficult time with the material. While she overall directed six episodes of DS9 and four of Voyager, this was her final episode for this series. Last of the season one holdovers. Now, we had talked before about the change up in the broadcast schedule and how four episodes from season one were held over until season two. With this episode, we are now officially done with those. Everything going forward was shot for the season that we are in. Also worth noting that even though this is a bottle show with minimal guest appearances, the budget did have to absorb some pretty extensive CG sequences, and might I say expensive CG sequences, which were still a rarity in 1995. Let's talk about our guest stars. Two of our holodeck regulars are back at Chez Sandrine. Those would be Gaunt Gary, played again by Larry Hankin, and Sandrine herself, played again by Judy Geeson. Putting an end to an era, though, this is the final Star Trek appearance for both actors. 
and returning as well in a guest star role. It's everyone's favorite memorable USS Voyager, Jim Rat, the guy who works out really hard and needs to be patched up by the EMH from time to time. It's Lieutenant Baxter, played here again by Tom Virtue. You remember Baxter from his many previous appearances, like in the episode Eye of the Needle, and that's it. That's the only other one. But that's not to make light of Tom. You may recall that last time we mentioned how he's been in some big feature films like Iron Man 3 and Green Book, plus numerous TV series like American Horror Story and The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Now, Lieutenant Baxter may not have made the cut to come back to Voyager, but Tom does. We will see him again in Season 7 in a different role. I've been waiting for this one, with Bill Paxton and the Tornadoes. Oh, wait. I believe I had cross-referenced the wrong database entry. I am very disappointed. Prologue. Cass walks into a quiet holodeck simulation of Chez Sandrine. It's dark and empty until her friends and crewmates emerge from the darkness and yell, Surprise! ringing in her second birthday. It's an old Earth tradition, and even the doctor is on hand, his hologram projected to serve as Sandrine's bartender. Neelix brings a cake he baked, as gifts are given to Cass, like the beautiful locket that Tom Paris had replicated. Meanwhile, on the bridge, Tuvok is in command, and Harry Kim is anxious to leave his post to join the others at Cass's party. As he turns to leave, though, an ominous, swirling anomaly appears on the main viewer, and Tuvok says he'll have to wait. When he calls down to the holodeck to alert the captain, something happens, and Tuvok's voice, describing the phenomenon, is distorted, garbled, and endlessly repeated. Act 1. Dance mixed Tuvok is still pumping through the PA system, and Bolana can't figure out why until it just stops. Something is clearly wrong. Comms systems are down so they can't call the bridge, which means the party is over and everyone needs to get back to their stations. On the bridge, the anomaly has been classified as a kind of spatial distortion that is surrounding the ship, and Tuvok makes the call that they should just try to go through it. Problem is, engines are offline. Harry is dispatched to find the captain, and on his way, he's met by Lieutenant Baxter, who also says comm systems are down, and on top of that, the temperature in the gym dropped down below 10 degrees Celsius. Harry advises that he report to his duty station until they figure out what's happening. On their way to the bridge, Janeway, Paris, and Chakotay are surprised to discover that the turbolift took them to the wrong deck. Some sort of communications error? They'll try again. In another corridor, Cass and Neelix talk about the party. She says she loved seeing her friends, while Neelix steers the conversation toward his own jealousy, but I'm not jealous over Paris's gift. This uncomfortable moment is sidelined by their realization that they are not, in fact, approaching Cass's quarters where they thought they were. Likewise, Bolana winds up in the mess hall when she thought she was entering engineering, and then there's Janeway stepping off the turbo lift into engineering. Nothing is where it should be. It gets weirder. Bolana then finds herself entering another room she thinks is engineering, turns out to be a transporter room, and there's Baxter, who thought he was on his way to the cargo bay. He can't find where he's going and can't find his security team. Even the EMH isn't where he should be, since all attempts to get back to sickbay just land him back in Chez Sandrine, where Sandrine herself is uh, still very happy to see him. 
He asks Harry to give the hollow emitters a look and try to get him out of there. Harry leaves and bumps into, well, everyone else, also lost and unable to find where they're trying to go. Act 2. Everyone is back on the holodeck, assessing their situation. The anomaly, the distortion ring surrounding the ship, is somehow bending the location of everywhere that they're trying to go inside Voyager. They started in the Deck 6 holodeck, pretty much in the middle, and they keep ending up re-centered there. They need to get back to the bridge, so they'll split up in teams, with some trying to go on foot, others trying to get to engineering or a transporter room, and transport there. They'll also use tricorders with photoplasmic scans to gather data about the shape and changes made in Voyager. Kess will stick around in the holodeck to help the doctor. Bellana and Tom make it to engineering, where the crew are told to stay at their posts, including the one guy in his undies, whose quarters now open directly into engineering. Chakotay and Neelix make their way down a corridor, with some awkward talk about jealousy, when they encounter Lieutenant Baxter still walking around looking for his security team. That leads us to Janeway and Kim, crawling through a Jeffrey's tube where the captain decides to spend a moment thanking him for his excellent service. The longer they scan the area, they finally arrive at a doorway that should lead to a cargo area behind the bridge, but once it's opened, it reveals a swirling, distorted Jeffrey's tube on the other side, one that drags Janeway's arm into it and won't let go. Act 3. Kim jumps into action, pulling the captain out of the distorted tube and quickly closes the door. They realize that the distortion is now inside the ship, not just surrounding it. But before they can chat about it longer, Janeway passes out. In the holodeck, the EMH is facing all kinds of harassment from Gaunt Gary and Sandrine. Kess comes in, reporting that she hasn't made any progress with the hollow emitters. She is soon followed by Kim carrying an unconscious Captain Janeway. Chakotay and Tuvok find themselves at a fork in the corridors. Even though they disagree about the best direction to go and walk off separately, they end up right back in front of each other. But in engineering, it looks like some real progress is being made. They fire up the site-to-site transporter, and Bolana and Tom expect to wind up right on the bridge, except they don't. Instead, they just materialize on the pool table at Chez Sandrine. With Janeway out of it, that leaves Chakotay in charge, and he's got the team together, not you, Neelix, who wandered off, here to figure out a new plan. They've got two tasks. One, map the changes that have been made to Voyager, and two, figure out how to stop the spatial distortions. The first step is pretty easy. Once they load all the tricorder data into a computer, it's weird. Just a bunch of bending, flexing, morphing parts of the ship. And what's worse, it's imploding. It hasn't affected Deck 6 where they are just yet, but it will. And Tuvok estimates that their time will run out in a little over an hour. Act 4. So they've got a problem, but no real knowledge of how it started or how to get out. If they're in a slow-moving implosion, Bolana proposes that they could initiate a shock pulse, a kind of controlled explosion from engineering to blow the spatial distortion away and Voyager along with it. It's exceedingly dangerous, with no real protection for good portions of the crew and a high probability of destroying the ship along with it. Chakotay gives the go-ahead, and Tuvok immediately questions the decision in favor of something less risky, like trying thrusters to push their way out. 
With time running out and tensions running high, Chakotay asserts his command and tells Balana and Harry to get to it. They do. There's a countdown next to the warp core as the shock burst rips through the ship, shaking everything violently, but they're okay, only the distortions are still rampant throughout the ship. Janeway is still barely conscious, just able to eke out a couple of unintelligible words when Chakotay tries to talk with her. Then Bolana and Harry run in to tell the bad news to everyone else. Their attempt drew the spatial distortion in closer and at a faster rate. The implosion is now coming for them all much faster, and there's no time to try Tuvok's original plan. The crew look on in disbelief as the distortion makes its way through the holodeck doorway and ever closer to them. Act 5. Time for another last-ditch effort. Bellana and crew attempt to set up a holographic force field to keep the anomaly out of the holodeck, and that doesn't work either. Tuvok jumps in with a new plan, though. Do nothing. Just wait it out, since nothing else has worked. Inaction is only logical. If they sit back, the distortion may pass its course. Just then, Janeway rises up from the bench where she's been unconscious, blurting out something about it talking to her. Also sounds like do nothing, but uh, okay, guess nobody's going to put any stock in that. Chakotay finds himself aligning with Tuvok. Maybe they need to take a course of inaction. And then, the crew who are assembled in the holodeck brace themselves for something. Or nothing. Tuvok and Chakotay make nice in what could be their final words to each other. Others stand and stare at the approaching distortion. Even Gaunt Gary backs away from the morphing pool table. The distortion passes like a wave over the crew, and then... It's gone. Janeway was tuned into it, though. She says it was a message, a form of communication. As the distortion ring moves further away from Voyager and the crew arrive back at the bridge, more surprises are in store. The anomaly, whatever it was, copied and downloaded Voyager's computer library and also left behind some 20 million gigaquads of new information. Maybe it was just trying to say hello. Oh, God, and here comes Neelix with some cake. The end. Personally, John, I really would like a slice of cake. And I'm glad that you ended with such an upbeat <laughs> message with, who wants cake? Who does? Yeah. Great job on this synopsis. Thank Great you. Job Thank you. Because look, there. Neelix yeah. has been walking around with that cake for a very long time. And it's got the layers of fudge. Seven yeah, it's layers. got the layers of fudge. It's got the uh, pureed nut frosting, whatever. I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's delicious. <laughs> That's the name of our <laughs> album for today. Pureed nut frosting. That's it. That's it. it that, it's the phrase oh. that pays. All right. Ah, gotta get serious. Gotta get serious here. Or not. Hey, by the way, do you remember maybe, the days when we were all cool with somebody just blowing out candles on a cake? <laughs> okay. I do. Because now, yeah. not so much. Now I see a scene like that and I'm like, ooh, that's... That's dangerous. <laughs> so, all right. I got to say that for this episode, one thing that I like right right at the very beginning is um, I really like this moment of Tuvok not breaking the facade, but still being really cool. He's the cool boss in that right. moment to let Harry leave work early. Yeah. Like that's that that is exactly the way to write 
while staying in character, putting something in the voice of the character. They've come so far from that kind of that passive aggressive I am that Tuvok sent Harry mm-hmm. yes. about, you know, being excited on the bridge and, you know, they're texting each other and Tuvok's all on his face about yeah. it to now. Yeah. Like it was nicely written. Yep. It was nicely written. And then, John, <laughs> and there's going to be like a lot of this was great, but and then, then there's this. Yeah. So I don't want to make a big deal about this, but okay. I will because we're Star Trek fans. Yeah. And when you say certain things, when you describe certain things and in such a way, it engages our visual understanding of what's happening in the yeah. story. The anomaly is a ring. And this is something that in any science fiction fandom, I don't care what it is. You are dealing with three dimensions. So Harry Kim, he's yeah. intelligent, but not experienced. His pattern indicates two-dimensional thinking. See? There you go. Nice. Fly yes. upwards yeah. you, through the ring. You, and this episode is over. He, he honestly, <laughs> he could have even given it a cool name. Like, use evasive pattern Kim for alpha, which means go up. Exactly. Because we don't want Omega. Yeah, no, we don't want straight. that. Yeah. So, no. But I'm, I'm, you know, it's like I know it's weird, and people out there are like, you know, Norm, really calm down. I'm like, no, you calm down because <laughs> it's a ring. You fly upwards through it. It's not like a right. bubble or a gas cloud, which we've seen before, which has inca- incapacitated the Voyager, you know, on occasion. So yeah. I'm going to bring it up. Nice, and I liked how you called right. it the Voyager too. Isn't that how we're supposed to call it? Is the Voyager? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to oh, read the style okay. guide, man. Oh. Uh, all right. So Baxter, by the way, I, I really need to point out, Baxter is working out so hard that he didn't notice a temperature dropped to under 10 degrees Celsius. He is very hardcore. He is the most hardcore person on that ship. Just in case you didn't know, it's Lieutenant Baxter. Anybody asks who's the most hardcore person, it's Baxter. Why we don't have an action figure of him, I don't know. Somebody should make it. Is Baxter the Chuck Norris of this group? I think so. I think from now on, every meme about Voyager will have to be about how tough Baxter is. I'd love to see Chakotay try and throw a punch at Baxter. He would hit Baxter... And then, like, all of Chakotay's mm-hmm. bones would break because yep, it's 10 degrees exactly, lower. Exactly. That, yeah. And you dare not right. let Baxter punch a guy like Dalby in the mess hall because then it's all over for Dalby. No, he turned into yeah, basically yeah, Adams. That's us. what would happen. Yeah. yeah. All right. I know we're going to get to it later, and I know that it will always come up, but uh, Neelix, given off the creep vibes big time, few times in this episode, but by literally steering the conversation with Cass, oh, did you like the party? And the gift from Tom Paris, look, I know that there will be a lot to discuss with uh, uh, Neelix, not only in this episode, but and more to come. But just very early on, we're getting hit with that. Okay, so I know what you're saying, and I completely agree with you. But there is kind of like this whole thing with Tom saying that two weeks worth of replicator rations just to let you know. I'm like, there should be like a Seinfeld moment here. Like, how many replicator <laughs> rations is... Is the decorum like? Is it is it one ration just for friends? Mm. Is it two weeks for something more than friends? How many rations? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, like that kind of thing. It because yeah. two weeks of not spending on yourself to spend on somebody else, that's kind of suspect. And is it more think? worth it to make say like two weeks worth of rations into I don't know several cheeseburgers? Like you could do that. But I that's know. logical. I know. 
Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Also, also cheeseburgers. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I do love that there's a little uh, dialogue between Baxter, again, the most hardcore guy on Voyager, Baxter and Bolana, And ba- they're in the transporter room, you know, where they run into each other. Baxter goes, uh, Ensign Kim said we encountered a spatial distortion. And Bolana goes, did he say what kind? Does it matter? It's, it, uh, Bolana, it is the kind of spatial distortion that is bending your ship. That's the one you're in. That's it. The only kind that would care, like that would matter to Baxter, would be a spatial distortion that dropped it. Dad, no, we don't want that because then you can't work out. You can't go hardcore in the gym. Exactly. It just too many Mm -hmm. problems for your muscles. He'd have to see the EMH again and then be biased against the EMH again. All right, John. So I know that you're trivia guy, but I I have some trivia for you. I've never heard this phrase before, and when I hear phrases I've never heard before, I have to look them up on Memory Alpha because they have mm-hmm. the definitions I'm looking for. Photoplasmic trail. That's what Chakotay said. He needs to reconfigure his tricorders with a photoplasmic trail to get the data for the corridors. It, of the it almost sounds like a real-world phrase, you know? Yeah. It does. Um so I did look this up, and it said on Memory Alpha, from the Star Trek Encyclopedia, 4th edition, volume 2, page 141, quote, it may be a coincidence, but physicist Harvey P. Oh. Lynn Jr., Star Trek's first scientific consultant who worked with Gene Roddenberry during the early days of the original Star Trek series, suggested the term, quote, unquote, photoplasma for something in the first, quote, unquote, oh. the cage, Although Roddenberry did not use this particular suggestion at the time, three decades later, Lynn's term finally made it to the screen. Oh, how cool is that? And uh, how unfortunate that Harvey Lynn is not around to talk to anymore, because that would have been the guy to talk to. That's so cool. Very Mm -hmm. cool. There is something that happens over and over in this episode, which I feel like I need to point out because Star Trek in general is smarter, more thoughtful, definitely more scientific than just say like the run of the mill average horror movie. Stop splitting up. Stop. Stop. Neelix, I'm looking at you. Stop wandering away. But any and all of you stop splitting up because, you know, that's when you get into trouble. And I see, I said before there was going to come again, and now it's coming up again because it's another scene. Neelix going on and on about Cass remembering the location of others' quarters. I, I mean, look, it, that's that's the reason that even Chakotay looks bummed out when he gets teamed up with Neelix. Like, like Janeway throws that at him. Like, uh, you know, I, I want you to walk around with Neelix. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> it, it was literally like getting the last person picked exactly. in the dodgeball team. <laughs> you know, it's over. Yeah. Also, but it did provide us with some funny moments when Neelix said, you know, he said to Chakotay, I, I would imagine you've had some experience with women. First of all, yeah. what is he, Riker? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. but uh, Beltran, and I will apologize to fans. I know that I said this earlier on. I do believe it was an elogium that I kept referring to Robert Beltran oh. as Roger. I'm sorry, because that's just my mistake several times. So yes. Robert Beltran, I like that he had this little bit of a smile because was that Robert? It was, was a very Chicote? natural reaction. I like. Mm. I do like natural reactions like that. And in that same scene, probably one of my favorite parts of this episode is when Chakotay says to Neelix, nothing makes us more vulnerable than mm. when we love someone. We can be hurt very easily, but I've always believed that what you get when you love someone is greater than what you risk. Mm. I thought that was a very, very nicely acted, nicely written scene. I, it was nicely written, nicely acted, but... 
and I, I, and, and I, I might, I, I might even come back to it. I might, because I, I think it, it provides one side of the equation. What it doesn't do is address the other side of the equation, which is Neelix stop being a jealous creep. Oh, I thought you meant like Chakotay finding someone else to punch. That might so. well look. I'm not saying he wasn't tempted because he might have been tempted. <laughs> so ba- Baxter was lost, so he lost. Yeah, his true. For true. Baxter. It, going back into the holodeck, I do appreciate the EMH proposing the idea that maybe they're all hallucinating. It's like that, that's something that he just throws out. Nobody really acknowledges that much. He says, "Well, I can't test it because I don't have my equipment with me," and that this is quickly forgotten. <laughs> but it's like, but that right. is perfectly reasonable in a situation like that just like uh maybe this is you know mass psychosis uh do you ever consider that <laughs> or remember last time i was in this exact same situation not yeah. too long ago and you all thought i wasn't hallucinating right. so exactly come on now, right? exactly um although well I, I guess in the in the production order this would have come before that so maybe he just gets a taste of his own medicine there in that respect Ooh, okay Ooh. So they twisted the order, is what you're saying? Yes, they twisted. Well done, well played. Maybe the uh, one of the best scenes, probably my favorite line, is the the EMH kind of getting you know harassed on one side by Gaunt Gary, the other side by Sundreen, and he he's stating his case and he's, you know about his hands. They do not play games and they do not mop floors. He's so wonderfully indignant, and I I love it. And I love him for it. And I love, like, at some point, this had to be brought up. They're in there, and they're saying, like, well, everybody's doing this. And Harry's like, where's the rest of the crew? <laughs> no kidding, Harry Kim. Because we all we know is Baxter, and I'm tired of running into Baxter. <laughs> but, but that's about <laughs> it. Oh, and the guy in his underwear. All right, you know. So here are a couple things, and I know this is very probably nitpicky, but I'm a nitpicky person today. When Janeway snapped out of her trance and just kind of started to spouting gibberish, mm-hmm. I don't even think Kate really understood like what that scene's direction was all about. It felt so yeah. weird. Just yep. weird, yep. right? 100%. I'm, I'm with you on the weird train for that. But here's something weird, but also cool. See, her doing what she did was weird, but weird. This is weird, but cool. So there's a quote when I think it, I can't remember what it was, but someone said, a shock pulse of that magnitude would create a subatomic particle shower all over the ship. I only bring this up because it references two possible band names, even though we got our band name. (laughs) Yeah. Shock pulse or subatomic particle shower. Oh, God, that's so good. Yeah, those are right. Um, we have our forty-seven reference. Why? I don't understand why. I just like like fixate because on they these. do because Star Trek fixates. I on know. So how can you not? Yep. Um, Harry Kim yelling out the Mega Pascals forty-seven, <laughs> forty-eight, forty-nine. But he really only yells yeah. out forty-seven. The rest of them just Very kind of trail true. off. Yep. All right, mm-hmm. so John, here's our okay. Dolby moment. I'm going to put this in the home mm-hmm. game for everybody, but we do have a Dolby moment in this episode. So in Chez Sandrine, when the S is mm-hmm. going to hit the fan, Chakotay just really throws down on Tuvok, like in a way that he just sits down next to Dolby and decks yeah, him out of nowhere. He, he snaps right? in a way that feels a bit out of place. And again, if we go in production order, this is before punching Dolby in the face in the mess hall so maybe he just had to build up to that maybe this is the pre he had it in mind you know it was like should i really do it to the vulcan Ooh, no 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 no. i'll save it i'll save it 
for a better opportunity. Here's something maybe a pin to discuss maybe later offline, mm-hmm. you know, with the fans when they write in. But having so many inconsistencies in characters, then putting all of these episodes yeah. out of order really makes it hard to track the yep. arc of a character. Yep. Absolutely. Right? Except for certain things. Like I really did like when Tuvok put his hand near Janeway. Like how good, good was that? I and, and that really was good. honestly something that I appreciated and I looked for every time that I rewatched it. I was like because it was like a little weird mind game with myself. Like, wait, does he actually touch Janeway at any point? Nope. I'm going to rewatch it. Nope. Still mm-hmm. doesn't. It was so perfectly Tuvok. Yeah. There are very nice mm-hmm. moments. Another nice moment was when Tom and Harry are kind of facing the inevitable. And Tom says, I chose this life. And I guess I always knew it would come to this. But yeah, I'm afraid. That was great. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was it was written well. It was acted well. Yeah. It was great. One last thing, Joe. Uh, John, I, I, I know this is... Sure, I got to ask yeah. an important question. Cake, anyone? Dismissed. That's Starfleet for Get Out. There's actually a gym on Voyager? Hey, Baxter. Bronk, why don't you just whip up a gym in the holodeck? Bronk. We will get right back to Twisted... After a word from this week's sponsor, and that sponsor is you. More specifically, all of our friends and patrons who are over at patreon.com slash mission log who have joined us there to get some exclusive access to, well, early release of our episodes, video behind the scenes of our episodes, exclusive swag, and dare I say, Norman, most important, the mission log discord. Oh, dare, dare. (laughs) I dared. Why don't you tell us about it? What's happening over there? Mission Log Discord was created specifically when COVID had so many of us isolated and we didn't have anywhere to go or specifically have anyone to talk to. So John and I decided to create an online forum where fans, friends, and a community could be, you know, uh, supported and grown so that we can just stay in touch with each other, either through video or through different chat channels where we share all of our fandoms and just stay connected as a community. And that's what it's become. And it's become even more than that in the span of almost a year's time. And what's nice is that it is a positive excited, uh, friendly community for anybody who wants to join. And you can join it by joining us at Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash mission log, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. And then that gives you full access to our discord. So we hope to see you there. And here's a little exclusive bonus. Uh, when this episode drops, we will be a week away from the 2022 Star Trek, uh, Las Vegas event creations, 56 year mission and, uh, Patreon members get invited to an exclusive party there with us only for patreon mission log members so if you join or if you're already a member and you haven't checked it out go there to the cons and events channel and you will find out all about it so join us patreon.com slash mission log and a big shout out to some of our most recent members scott mark brandon Trectacular, love that. Kathy and Jeremy, welcome to the community, and we will see you all soon. Patreon.com slash mission log. All right, Norman, uh, I have to admit that in the years of doing mission log, you know, I started out when I was a kid 
really knowing TOS. You only had those 79 episodes and you really, it just kind of burned into your mind, right? And then TNG comes along and, you know, those early movies, there's only so many of those to remember. But the more and more Star Trek there is, the more and more titles there are to remember. Gotta admit, gets a little harder to remember. It gets a little harder to like catalog everything, what happens in what episode. And uh, this one, I feel like in five years, if you come up and say Twisted, I may not know, but if you say it's the one where everybody's just walking around corridors, then I'll know. Then I will remember that episode. I feel like there is a lot of walking around in corridors in this episode. Am I wrong? No, but you know, at the same time, though, I bet you production was like, yeah, this is going to be good for us because all you really need to do is just turn the camera one way. And they're like, oh, we're walking down another corridor, then turn the camera around another way. And like, oh, yeah, but you're lost, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So two things about that. You know, I did mention in trivia how they were eight minutes short when it came to the scripting of this episode. So if this was TNG days, if this was early DS9 days, you would have Michael Piller come along and do some pillar filler. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that pillar filler would be some of those poignant, introspective, thoughtful moments for a character to share. It, just all in the interest of padding out an episode where you don't have enough action or you don't have the budget to fill in an action scene. And somehow you just get this moment of magic between characters. Well, they had a lot of filler they had to do here, and it doesn't quite have that deft hand that Michael Pillar had <laughs> back in the day. You're trying to fill in some spaces here that are empty, and what we get is a lot of walking – And maybe a lot of forced character moments. And I guess maybe for the purposes of this segment, well, we're looking at the plot of the story, but we're also looking at what do we actually get out of the characters in those scenes? Because Mm -hmm. you've got two levels of this episode. You just have the getting from point A to point B, which is we're in the distortion. We need to get out of the distortion. It's solving the science problem of the week. But then you have the character arcs, the mini arcs, for this story. And I guess we got to start where maybe there's the most to discuss, and that's Neelix and how much I am resenting Neelix here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. How much of the depth and nuance that we got before that is just being squandered. Look at Jatrell. Look at how mm-hmm. happy you and I were to see that parallel episode to DS9 duet and give neelix some uh to give him a soul to give him this really this hurt part of him and now he's just acting out in a way that is so reprehensible so annoying and so badgering toward the person that he supposedly cares the most about so there's that conversation that he does have that that some of the filler here conversation he's having the chakotay about jealousy Hmm, commander tell me about jealousy but even then i agree with you norman that that there is something positive in that moment that there is that there are good moments there for chakotay where he kind of acknowledges what's going on. He, he's reading between the lines. Yeah. But I feel like what yeah. we get out of it is basically Chakotay turning to Neelix and saying, yeah, uh, jealousy, it's, it's a thing, and it's powerful. 
and and then nothing really helpful beyond that. Yeah. Because what, what are you going to do, right? Yeah, because because <laughs> what Neelix needs is help. You know, there's the acknowledgement. And the, the acknowledgement is good. Putting it, phrasing it the way that Chakotay did, I think is relatable. And you can go like, oh, yes, that's why jealousy is such a powerful thing. But what we don't get is the next step. What we don't get is Chakotay saying, by the way, Neelix, are you struggling with jealousy? Because I've noticed some things and maybe I can find somebody for you to talk to. You know, I think that uh, I'm going to I'm going to steal like what I said earlier and I think that one of the big problems is how we're watching the episodes and how we're watching these characters unfold out of order inconsistently yeah. because they're are supposed to be mini arcs in characters where they're starting to grow and starting mm-hmm. to shed some of their bad behavior because they're learning along the way and they're trying to be better per episode. Now, if these episodes were actually produced, shot produced and then released in order, that would make sense. It would make sense that in a few episodes, there are a handful of concentrated Neelix being a jerk mm-hmm. type of arcs. And then all of a sudden later on, maybe after Jatrell getting into the 37s, I wouldn't necessarily say elogium, but see, that's what I mean though, because <laughs> yeah. it's not, when you said that what Neelix needs here is help. No, what he needs is a better writer. Okay, okay. Let's be honest. Okay, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, let's look at the practicality of it. What we want are great characters that are crafted by great writers. And in this case, I'm not putting it solely on the writers because there are occasions where Neelix is just, it's just, you know, when he says, you, my dears, have seen the last of that green-eyed puss hog called jealousy. Have we, though? Mm, have we really? No, 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 no. I no, want to no. believe that, but I don't think we have. And it's getting old. I mean, come on, like. When you when you create a story like Chatrell, drop that on an audience and say this is where this character can go, and you haven't gone anywhere close to return to that character and what that character is about. Yeah, and all you do is just go back to the default this annoying lizard lion alien that <laughs> I was trepidatious about at the beginning. Well, maybe it's because I had good reason. Yeah, right. Maybe the audience itself had good reason. So all you have is this incredible potential of a character who's just fallen from grace since Chitrell and hasn't gotten any better since. I will give the writers a little bit of benefit of the doubt here, which is that, okay, this episode actually belonged in season one, so it belonged far earlier than we're getting to it now, or certainly than an audience would have caught it in 1995. And even the writers seeing something like this are like, okay, we're done with the jealousy thing. We're we're done. Now, that's not to say that that this won't come up again with, uh, uh, with Neelix, but to see this stuff Back to back, they were like, ooh, wow, okay, we, we need to figure out the other stuff that drives Neelix as well, because this is much. And it's right. definitely a bit much coming this late, seeing it out of order like this. So mm-hmm. they they weren't unaware, but the the playback order of this, look, it's bad stuff anyway, <laughs> but the playback order does not do it any favors at all. And by the way, that line about the, the green-eyed pus hog, um, he is clearly trying to fool her, trying to fool himself, and he's not believing it himself either. You know, he's... And yeah. if, if we don't believe it, if they don't believe it, if the characters don't believe it, we don't believe it. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and that's yeah, a yeah. huge disconnect, right? We want to we want to believe that these characters. We want to have that verisimilitude of the effect of the illusion that these characters are real. We're watching the historical documents like they did in Galaxy Quest. We're watching people in real time doing real things yeah. and believing that their choices are real. And that is a problem because then if you don't find the sincerity in a character, it's not to say that every character has to be the same all the time, but if you don't find the sincerity in the character to ground you, then the other things play off as false. Even Neelix showing up with a cake, it's like, you know what? You're just trying to win people over again. Is there sincerity in this? Right. The cake scene at the end wasn't about her. It's about him. About him. Yep. Yep. Now I'm mad at that cake. (laughs) <laughs> I bet it's delicious, though. Yeah, it really is. Seven be. layers of fudge, though, John. That yeah, <laughs> might be. Might be. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, let, let's talk about some of the other things, which I, I think one of these is kind of uh, uh, another important through line, but it's an important through line that I feel like isn't explored in any sort of really meaningful way, and that is this look at the – do we dare even call it? command style or is it just a disagreement about command decisions i'm wondering if we actually get anything from that part of the episode chakotay wants to try something riskier tuvok's plan definitely wasn't a sure thing either but that kind of drama feels very manufactured to me because it it wasn't where we as the audience felt like oh wow these are both equally valid maybe or maybe not equally risky. We've already seen every system fall apart on the ship. So at a certain point, then it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a choice of a method of command. It just feels like, well, that guy's in charge and the other guy isn't right now. So be it. There's a lot, there's a lot missing there for me to feel like I'm emotionally invested in it, or I really want to root for one or the other. That exploration in the episode leaves me cold. I have heard on occasion where... In situations like this, whether it's in the corporate professional world, especially in the military world, you don't want to see your leaders fight in front of their subordinates. You don't want to see the parents fight in yeah, front of the children sure. because you don't know which parent to side with. So what happened in that one scene where Chakotay essentially flexed all over Tuvok and said, I'm in command? Is that understood? That- of course Tuvok knows he's in command. Yeah. Why is Chakotay taking such offense to a suggestion. It's it's Chicote undermining his own command authority at that point. He really yeah. is. Like may, maybe Balana is impressed with that, but <laughs> that should be about but the that's only what one. I mean though. Yeah. You're, you're actually you're drawing a line in the sand in front of all these people. The McKee in the room, Balana mm-hmm. especially, are going to side with Chakote, yeah. you know, cuz that's her relationship <laughs> with him. And then Starfleet they're just going to default back to follow regs. So I'm ha- I have to back Tuvok. Yeah. You're very much walking a very, very delicate line of civil war, you know, when it comes to that, or mutiny. Yeah. In, in the face of a giant alien distortion ring barreling down on you, <laughs> you know, throughout the course of the story. So it, it was just... There were so many well-earned moments in this episode, but so many ridiculously (laughs) unearned moments in this episode also, which I think those are the things that make 
that make you remember this episode, but not for the right reasons. Right. And, and I don't think it's wrong to explore a difference in style, a difference in approach, a difference in philosophy between Tuvok and Chakotay. Uh, those are both great. You know, we, we had a question on Engage not long ago, which was sort of looking at how appropriate is it for Chakotay to use his spirit guide? And then we kind of compared that to the logical, scientific point of view that somebody like Tuvok would have, sort of representing mm -hmm. another big thread of Starfleet. I think these are interesting avenues to go down. This was absolutely not going down either of those avenues. It was just right. a, a weird flex. That's all you can call it. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of... Mm -hmm. um, because it just got 10 degrees cooler in my room. <laughs> Why this fixation on Baxter in this episode, dude? You, you got to stop. Why? Norman, you got to stop working out so hard because, you know. I can't walk, yeah. not nearly as hard as him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. right? Here, here's maybe the only way that I can make sense out of it is that had this episode aired in production order, maybe they were thinking like, well, everybody remembers Baxter. Everybody wants to know if Baxter is still working out super hard and has to go to the EMH. How's that? Uh, like, we all remember our old friend Baxter. This guy is practically a regular at this point. Mm -hmm. No. No, he wasn't then, and he isn't now. And, yeah. and they picked somebody who... This is not to disparage Tom Virtue at all. No. At all. Nope. Okay. Nope. If we're going to do something with a character who is interesting enough to bring back over and over again, I think we have to make that person really stand out. And Baxter simply does not stand out. He, he mm. He's just very, like, generically Starfleet. Um, and we've already got, uh, in the best possible way, we've got, you know, literally the guy that Milana calls Starfleet. You got Harry Kim, just sort of the fresh scrubbed. All-American kid, you know. So Baxter is just not going to cut it. He's going to get lost in this. And why we keep running into him, it's like, well, we got to fill in these eight more pages. I guess get that guy. Okay. <laughs> so that, that brings me up to my next point, though. And I'm not disparaging. Again, I'm not disparaging mm -hmm. Tom Virtue. It's just it's weird to see them focus on a character where they do have – as you said to your trivia, they do have a pocket of time where they need to stretch mm -hmm. some of the material, literally, yeah. like stretching out the corners <laughs> right? and stuff. Yeah. But then you have this wonderful, almost classic TOS, TMP kind of moment where they they understand that the ring deposited this incredible amount of information into the computer also took some of the information out of their computer. And then uh, Janeway posits the, the possibility of maybe they were trying to communicate through me. Maybe they were trying to say something. Cake anyone? Like, what the heck? That's, I mean, seriously. That's the most interesting thing in the episode. Is that exactly. That, that was a first contact moment. And... 20, uh, what is it? 20 gigaquads? Great made-up word. If it's real, right. somebody will let me know. That much data, like, okay, are we coming back in the next episode with an examination of that data? And maybe it's navigational information for the Delta Quadrant. Maybe it's uh, advanced uh, defensive systems. I mean, who, there could be anything anything right. maybe it's the key to every species for the next you know 70 light years that this entity has a mass or that that is 
fascinating. That is absolutely right. incredible. We have no idea how old that thing is. It's been mm-hmm. trawling around the universe. Please place your bets now if we are ever going to come back to that in this series. Right. So I, I wrote this note because I want to put it in context of what this could have been. The whale probe in Star Trek Four. Oh, I did, oh my God! Yes, right. Yeah, I mean, aside from V'ger, I mean, think yeah. about that. Yeah. The whale was directing its message to the Earth's oceans and then vaporizing them because the frequency mm-hmm. could not talk to the whales, or the whales yeah. weren't there. George and Gracie weren't there. Yeah, Th- this little piece of information in the story was given about I don't know thirty to forty-five seconds worth of dialogue time. And if you're looking for eight minutes to fill, why not fill it with that? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But rather it's turn around, bro. Where's the workout room? I don't know, Baxter. Go towel yourself off or do something, right? Bro, it's too cold to towel myself off. You know, or turn around and like, wow, look, Neelix is jealous about because I know that freaking person's address. I'm like, I know people's addresses because I walk by corridors. So, hey, uh, if we learn anything from this episode, you know who it's not too cold for? Shirtless Asian man walking around in his uh, quarters, opening up an engineering. Not too cold for him. Oh, that's because he was taking a subatomic particle shower. Got it. (laughs) We don't see them in this episode, but I have calculated a high probability that before the end of the episode, the Delaney sisters have become twisted sisters. So one of the things, John, that we do at the end of Mission Log is we try and untwist ourselves from certain... Well, you know what? Let's spin that. It's a green dot, Mm -hmm. John. Can you put your left hand Mm -hmm. on the green dot? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me spin the board again. Okay. All right. We're not going to go to that position. So we're not going to untwist (laughs) ourselves from that. So no, no. For everyone who knows what we do here... This is what we do mm-hmm. here for all of you new listeners. What we do here at the end of Mission Logs, we take a look at if this episode holds up, does it stand the test of time? And then we take a look at the morals and meanings and messages of the episode, if we can find any contained therein. So let's take a look at how we feel about the end of, well, the beginning and the end in the middle of Twisted at the end here. And John, let's start with you. You know, I thought for a moment I was going to say that the best course of action is inaction and just in the show here. <laughs> but but we won't do that. We won't do that. That, that would be uh, a fun trick to play mm-hmm. sometime, but we won't do it today. Uh, so looking at Twisted and whether or not it holds up. All right. So th- th- this is the problem with doing an episode like this. Like, it's another episode where I feel like it would be so easy to just be totally dismissive of everything and yet there are so very many flaws to pick apart here now let's look for something that is maybe a positive here i like a bit of weirdness in my star trek from time to time i really do like give me a good like brandon braga firing on all cylinders doing something creepy weird horrific i think that's good from time to time um and i'm sure that in a case like this the writers sat around thinking wow wouldn't it just be so bizarre if the rooms and the spaces on voyage just started rearranging themselves and folding in on each other and you know picture this nightmarish mc escher landscape that they have to fight their way through i can appreciate that and i can appreciate that there was an attempt to also have some character moments in and among that mystery 
I can also appreciate that they somehow shoehorned in this first contact story. But then we're just left with so many unfollowed ideas, so many loose threads. And it's even more frustrating when you know that things just came back together in the end and will never be spoken of again. All right, there, there's also a bit of production shortcoming. Uh, we have a guest star. We mentioned Tom Virtue as Baxter, but why? Why is he there? Barely anyone else on the crew is seen in this entire episode. Are we just to assume, uh, assume that the people at the other extremities of Voyager, they've already gone through this, and they're just like, wow, I hope the people hanging out in the middle in the holodeck hope they get out eventually because we've already gone through it we're done you know they're they're referenced and and baxter is there but it's all just very inconsequential um even the art department seems to be confused about what's happening you know the graphic that we see on the computer shows voyager bending and imploding but our characters are just walking through corridor after corridor looking exactly the same as it did before. Um, although kind of on this meta level, I appreciate that this is how a Star Trek episode is made anyway. You know, you build a tiny section of corridor and they just keep redressing it and you have the actors walk past the same corner on multiple takes. So you, you mentioned that, Norman, mm-hmm. and I, I sort of appreciate that as almost like an in-joke of actually making the episode. Um, probably everybody making this had much grander ideas in their heads about how this episode would look and the mood that it would capture. But the problem is they failed to do those things. So therefore the episode does not hold up. It does not live up to the promise of itself. Cannot give this one a pass. How about you, Norm? So here at Mission Log, and especially again, I'm going to reiterate this for new listeners, and we apologize if this is the first episode that you're actually hearing from us but you'll <laughs> welcome yes exactly welcome and uh jim's over there baxter will let you in <laughs> what we want to do here is again i i completely appreciate what you said john and i agree with you that we're not here to turn our podcast platform into a whipping post of things that we don't like that's not what we do but we mm-hmm. do um take uh, very seriously is our understanding of an episode and what we do and break it down and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We take a look. We say this at the very beginning of every episode. We take a look at each and every episode of Star Trek, looking for the morals, meanings, and messages contained therein and seeing if they withstand mm-hmm. the test of time. And perhaps in this case of this episode, we should also add the line, so you don't have to. Boom. There it is. This episode, I just can't in good conscience recommend it to anyone. Because time is precious, and I don't have the right to steal anyone's time for any reason, and especially for this episode. I'm going to be completely honest. Okay, fair. For me, this episode just felt off. It's like when you taste food that's just Mm. turned, you know, kind of like mayonnaise, and you're like, is this mayonnaise bad? (laughs) Oh, no. And it's it's like, it's it's kind of bad, but not kind of bad, and then you eat it, and you're Uh like, you instantly regret it. Like, literally, like, 49 minutes later, you instantly regret it because you know that you should have stopped but we can't stop. You and I can't stop. Yeah. That's part right. of our mission. Right. The dialogue, the interactions with the crew just felt forced. And the whole thing with Sandrine and the EMH was gross. Just gross. <laughs> right? I'm not sure, like, what was worse. Like, you know, Chakotay being – at least Sandrine's been consistent. Chakotay's sure. been way just 
all over the place. Anyway, yeah. The last thing I need to say, and I agree with you, I just one of the things that could have been really, really interesting to see is kind of like the visual warping. The effects didn't hold up for me. It just didn't work at all for me. But it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that we can't find something to discuss to saving throw this episode. Let's see if we can get yeah. at least uh, a saving throw of at least 11, you know, on a check of nine. You, you might be asking for a lot. Yeah. And look, something that we talked about offline, though, that is not in this episode. So I'll, I'll say it again now for those of you who are listening. You know, the mission log rule is that every episode of Star Trek is simultaneously someone's favorite mm-hmm. and someone's least favorite. Yep. This may not be my least favorite episode of Star Trek ever made. Uh, and yet it may be somebody's favorite. And I actually I look forward to hearing about that, oh. because if you're getting something out of it that we're not, that's awesome. Absolutely. That is great. Yep. And that's what this is all about, yep. is carrying on that conversation. So what did we learn? What did we get out of it? What's the message? Is there one? Because, <laughs> see, the, the moments of conflict arise really from two places. It, it's the Kess-Neelix relationship, which, again, is just is played on the surface with Neelix's extreme jealousy, and that just makes it uncomfortable. Um, and I hope that we have grown now past it getting past this episode um but i don't know because i haven't watched what's coming ahead and then the command differences between chakotay and tuvok which we addressed in the last segment it's fine that these two have different opinions and different styles but but let's face it there isn't really any right or wrong answer here Whatever they do is going to fail until the anomaly passes through. So there isn't really a test of command skill or of knowledge. It's just a matter of, I guess we see what happens next. And then that is undermined, again, as you pointed out so well, Norman, is undermined by Chakotay's unprofessional behavior, calling out his next most senior officer in front of everybody else. It's a squandered opportunity for a couple of deep conversations to have then no depth. Um, and that that's really unfortunate here. Um, I guess if there is something maybe mildly interested that it, it is Tuvok's uh, uh, sort of direction, his suggestion that inaction may be the only logical course of action, because sometimes that's all you got. And maybe that's all I've got in this episode, Norm. How about you? Well, I mean, I think uh, I think you and I are on a similar similar uh, page here because there are moments in episodes, even episodes like this, where there's a really poignant moment of dialogue, and those are the things I usually fixate on. Like why why this particular direction, pushing into these two characters, focusing on what they're saying, and it just seems so different, like a different cut that may or may not Mm -hmm. specifically be uh, the same tone of the episode. So it does stand out a bit. And when Tuvok suggested that they give in to the only option left to them to do nothing, it did remind me of this one quote that coincidentally kind of popped up in my social media feed right when I was actually reviewing this episode. And that's when Jean-Luc Picard in peak performance said to Data, it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness. That is life. And it just kind of 
fit so well. And I changed my course of direction of what I was writing. I literally deleted three or four paragraphs of where I was going to go (laughs) Uh because I believe that quote is relevant to the end of this episode. I believe that what Tuvok was suggesting when he was convincing the crew to stand down, he was trying to make a point of there is something about trying to overcome the fear of the unknown. You know, Mm -hmm. that death is the result of failure. That's what we think. That's what he's trying to reverse in many people's ideas about what's going to happen to them. It's kind of like the end of Spectre of the Gun, when Spock mind melds with everyone because in the physics of the world of Spectre of the Gun, if you're shot by a gun, you die. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. And Spock makes everyone certain, the way Bone says, we're not as certain as your Vulcan mind. And Spock's like, I can make that happen for you. So the certainty was removed from them and all they have left is the logic of what the problem is and the problem is let the energy pass through death is not certain and see what happens after that so maybe and i do like that chakotay kind of comes on board with this he says to balana he said whatever this thing is balana is bigger and more powerful than we are maybe this is one Mm. bear we can't wrestle to the ground i did cringe at that one a little bit yeah. But too. <laughs> but maybe yeah. the, 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 the whole point of their kind of kumbaya moment at the end is maybe like Tuvok says, there's nothing we can do but let it happen and hope for the best. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the mission log discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next mission log, parturition. Some of the music for mission log provided by warp 11. Online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Schabel. Engaging Riders Hat Mode. Maybe this is the episode they should have titled Non Sequitur. Don't believe me? Here, have some cake. Brunk. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.